This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Larry Richard Unfiltered with Jim Cren, Sheila Highland, episode 49. Let's call this the beginning of a holiday episode because yeah, Thanksgiving, next thing you know, you're rolling into Christmas, the new year. You got Hanukkah, uh, Kwanzaa, Festivus. With the rest of us. Can we get Marty on next podcast? I hope. We'll see how the schedule is. 50th. We'll see. Just you know, throwing it out right. there. That's the 50th episode. Just throwing it out there. It if he'll do it next I, week, we I don't know. I really am going to push for that. See what he says. I really want to. Do you have to push? Doesn't he just want to come on here? Is that, um, was that his idea? Yeah, yeah. It was. I sort of pushed him there. Marty, <laughs> I nudged him, I, and I've told this to Marty. I said, people ask me all the time, "What's it like to work with Marty? He's so over the top." I said, "It's like being verbally tased every ten minutes." That's kind of nice. Eventually, I enjoy yeah. that. Actually, it'd be exciting. It is I love the way he goes, Lair, Lair, hey, Lair, Lair. And you've listened. I love Marty Jim. and you. I love. I think you guys work well together. I like the. I like the energy, man. It's it. It is a different vibe for me good because I spent Yang. so many years with Shumway. Fifteen and a half years in radio, plus four in TV. Yeah, and then with Kevin, and then before that, I was with Shelley Duffy on the show too. It's a different energy, and I like it. Okay, you need a little jolt. It's kind of fun. All right, could put you on your horse that. a little bit. He's he's fun. He's funny, informative. You are brilliant. I think you're a great storyteller. I think I think the you're laid back, and the mixture of having that energy and the laid back is a good yin to your yang, is what I think. Well, thank you. And at this be. stage of your career, you want to be who you are. We'll try it all. And to Marty's point, he's who he is, so right. hopefully you can find that balance. Okay, but I just have to ask, how do you get a word in edgewise with him? It just depends. Later in the show, he's starting to go on, you know, texting people. Mm-hmm. So he's wor- always working, and he has so many insiders in in the business and he truly does like the people that know what is going on in this town right now the one thing i know it's hard for people because the morning is a balance you have to have some levity right and jim you made your career on levity yeah. which i loved and yeah. people loved but the gun violence for juveniles in this town and nowhere to put them so they know that so we've seen gun violence and and Jim, you're you're a Southside resident, right? You know business owners who have suddenly changed their mind. So I I said to Marty, if, if our mantra is breaking news and making a difference, I'd like to find a way to really start stemming the tide of that gun violence in our city because it's affecting everybody. Right, right. And some of it's you know 
groups coming in from out of town, you know, not maybe not Pittsburgh, maybe visiting. Do you feel as safe as you ever did in Southside? I, I do. I'll tell you why, guys. I grew up in a city my whole life. I grew up in an alley on 12th Street behind a Heinz History Center. And it wasn't a real kind strip district back then. It's a little rough around the edges. Um, when you live in the city, there's going to be some edge, man. So there's a difference between living in a city and there's a difference between living in the suburbs. There's a difference, you know, any city. It could be New York. It could be Pittsburgh. It could be Philly. I don't care. It's Toledo. It's downtown. It's downtown. There's a certain different energy. You're going to have visitors, transient, things like that. Um, it's it's going to be a little more congested. Uh, you're going to have a little more activity, both good and bad. So I am accustomed to the possibility of having the possibility of something happen. So I keep my edge, keep my guard. I'm not shocked when it does happen. So I'm thinking, all right. That's part of living in the city. There's just more people here. It's more congested. Something could go wrong. There's humanity. There's good and evil in the world. That's the way it is. So in the city, no, I walk my, you know, I have Larry, the dog. I walk, <laughs> I walk him uh, all through the neighborhood at night. I'll, I'll go at 9, 30, 10. Now, here's the thing with the city, guys. When I moved to uh, um, Northside, uh, the schoolhouse apartments, great apartments. I love them. When I first got, I was on the road for about six years doing stand-up, and I end up Getting a gig on on a DVE, and I'm, I'm it's like uh, I'm 26 years old, and all of a sudden I'm on billboards and stuff. I'm like, what the hell is this all about? So, so I get this uh, place in school. Now I grew up in the city, so I know how to live on Northside. In other words, it's right across from Allegheny uh, Hospital. So we'd have uh, Tim, the guy who was a maintenance guy, he'd be changing our locks out front all the time for the moment. what happened. He's ah, oh, doctor got you know mugged the other day. And said, what? He walked into West Park at 1 in the morning because they have odd shifts, doctors. He's in an emergency room. He's just taking a stroll in West Park at 1 or one in, the, 1 in the morning. Well, guess what? If you take a stroll in certain areas, you could get mud. You're raising your average. So you have to kind of be aware. I knew not to take a stroll. So on the south side, I know where not to go at certain times and where to go. Now, could something happen to me? Yeah, but it could happen to me anyway. Get hit by a bus. could happen in a suburb. I could, I could get attacked by a coyote but i'm just saying you you got to know where to go so i have certain streets i know where to go i know where certain areas i could walk i feel more comfortable there are less bars or less action i know where the action is so the idea is be aware of your surroundings whether you're in the suburbs or the city i don't i, I get it because news is going to sell fear and it's going to make the news is going to make it bigger than it has to than but you it should can't be. deny it. You know that these these events have that, gone no, on. No, it's saying they're happening. There's a lot more violence. But you and, can't and deny the news. You can't. You. you can't deny the news makes it more heightened because fear sells. Yeah, but I did live on the south side yeah. for nine months. It was right. my first time living in or near the city. Yeah, and I knew that after that nine months, it was time for me to get out. But you know, as a female, we experience fear probably a lot more than you do. I well, mean, keeps you alive. Every time I'm in a car- parking garage, sure. anytime I'm by myself, I am hyper aware of my surroundings. Right. And I, I don't know that generally men feel that the way we women do. You you have to to survive in a city. you got to keep your guard up. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. That's the difference. Yeah. yeah. there's If you are used to that, then Sheila, to your point, you're aware of your surroundings. Now, it can be uncomfortable. I know when I worked downtown at KDK TV in the Gateway Center area, there were some times because of construction when they were putting in the subway, our one block Mm -hmm. subway. Yes. So we had to park and then I have to walk at early morning hours, you know, before the dawn, way before the dawn. And 
you would suddenly it was a different vibe. And that's when the city would be considered a lot safer then than a lot of people feel it is now. Sure. I agree. Um, I lived in a real nice suburb for 20 some years. Keep your doors open. So you thought till police officer said, Jimmy, there's a, a couple that are checking doors and houses and robbing them. Really? A couple? Yeah, an old couple walking there. My point is, it could, crime could be anywhere. And that's not a violent crime, but I'm just saying crime could be anywhere. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just think that, it, that it, our city in general is, is in general compared to other cities. I think we're a fairly safe city. I feel comfortable in most of the neighborhoods. If I want to have a place where I just don't want to lock the doors, I'll go to Swickley and live in Centennial Street. But I get it. I'm going to have my doors locked on the south side. I like the ed- I like the edge. That's the way I like to live. Um, it's a preference, you know, not Remember for everyone. during COVID? Yeah. We, did, we didn't hear about any violence nope. during COVID. So there had to be violence. It was violence. unbelievable. There probably was. Well, I don't know. Because was, was, wasn't could... COVID selling news? Well, wasn't violence push us? Didn't you yeah, have enough fear? This is local news. You'd have <clears> heard about I, there it. There wasn't any, as, there couldn't have been as much crime because there weren't anybody... No one was walking out. around. Yeah, there wasn't anybody. Yeah. No, that's it's well. Like we're, it's like we're making up for lost time now. Mm. Those two, I still those think two the, years I still think there violence. could have been violence. There could have been violence Where in homes. Maybe we saw. Or, well, I think there could have been violence going. I think when I I you know all about the news. You've been on the news. I worked in the news during little certain sporadic parts of my life where I'd be on doing some uh, projects, and I remember working in, this, in, in different stations. And I got to tell you, I was in those meetings. Fear cells. That's what we're getting from the national news, local news. And we have the best local news. I think we have great anchors, great reporters. Um, but the, in general, it's a competitive game. You know that more than anyone, Sheila. You tell me. Did you do a bunch of happy stories or feel good stories? Or was it mostly fear kind of sells? COVID brought ratings to, to every cable station, the highest ratings ever. One, we were stuck in the house, yes. But also, what? and it was real, okay? There's people dying. But there was also maybe a little push to, you know, fear. I'm just fear sells, in other words. Yeah. So with the violence, I think it sells. I think you're going to get a bit more dramatic. I think it's horrible, obviously. We don't want violence, but I don't think we could write. We just can't wipe out evil in the world. And I don't. The only thing we do is maybe try to address a problem if we see a continual, continual violence in the city. Okay, raise taxes, whatever we have to do, which we don't like to do, and help the police more. Help the police more, you know? Um, give them a chance. <laughs> really, it's kind of tough to be a police officer. But help them more. And uh, maybe pay them more. Maybe, you know, run violence to the gun. That's what you do. Uh, but we don't do that, do we? We just kind of like talk about the violence and like, what are we going to do? But there's remedies to it if we want. But, but because there's a certain level where, you know, well, I'm pretty good. I fortunately haven't been mugged on the south side or anything maybe i have a different tune if i was you know someone out there's listening to jim i get that but i'm just saying in general i think we're okay that's all i'm saying i think we're okay i think there's going to be evil in the world i think they could be dramatizing a little more like where i live i think it's fine now why did you leave the south side what did you get mugged or was there i mean not i mean did you have fear of it violence was increasing yeah where um did you see it it was on the news. It was on the news all there the time. There you go. Well, that's well, my point. It's on the news. Yeah, but, but Jim, the violence is always on the news. On another I mean, street. that's part of what makes news. On another street near the bars. 
So yeah, I, I think were, it's more I mean, like five blocks away though, four or five blocks away. That's a little too close for comfort. So yeah. you yeah, were there how long, Sheila? Just nine months. And, and I, uh, I, you know, I did. I loved living down there. Yeah. I still, I and love now you outside, live in a more just, suburban environment. I do, I do, and not that things can't happen there. And I do keep my doors locked. <laughs> Uh, but I but I feel a little bit safer. Yeah, and, you know, maybe that's just my. Age. No, no, it's good. It's to each their own. No, it's not. It's, it's, it's good funny. instinct. It's your instinct. It works. Your instinct works for you. Mine works for me. Mm-hmm. Do you not remember that old book about the country mouse and the city mouse? Mm-hmm. No, no. Where yes. you grow up is where you're comfortable mm-hmm. overall. That's exactly right. And I'm more when, comfortable when, it. when yes. one would cross over to the other. Now. The city mouse goes to the farm mm-hmm. country, and there's things there that they never even considered, like coyotes. <laughs> Insects, coyotes, snakes. I see a snake, I'm freaking out. I see fresh air in a tree, I'm really shaking. <laughs> Look, I'm a guy who grew up in some, I'm not kidding. To me, the country was when I visited Aunt Dee in Brookline, because there were trees. <laughs> that was like the country, man. And, and you're I'm not, in the woods out there. I'm like, no, I'm like survival. Half, you're survival. only half kidding. No, I'm really serious. I was no, because <laughs> he grew up in an alley, yeah, near the Heinz History Center back when. Well, the Strip District is kind of booming right now That's, with all the yeah. infrastructure development and everything else. But back then, it was more gritty, right? Well, we weren't paying three thousand a month for our apartment. Let's put it that way. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. very gritty. It was very gritty. It was it was a tough area. It was a, a place of, we knew each other, though protected each other kind of vibe. Um, like I said, I grew up amongst it, but it's funny. The funny thing is when I would go to my aunties in, in Brooklyn and Uncle Glenn's and they had the backyard with the trees in the woods and I'd go walk in the woods, man. It was like, I'm serious. I was like uh, some survivalist dude, man. <laughs> I thought I was like, I could have been in like uh, some huge forest. I was in the rainforest of Pittsburgh, man. This is a creek. <laughs> some creek probably coming from some manufacturing plant, but I'm thinking it's like some pristine water, you know? I'm probably- I uh, went to college in Nebraska, and I remember the first spring break I was there, one of my sorority sisters took me home to her farm. There you go. And we were getting up at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, milking cows, <laughs> riding horses. You know, you Somehow see I can't see you. I, chickens cows. running around. Working on a farm is kind of like being in a morning show host. <laughs> Who are you milking, Larry? You're really uh, tired. You're really tired all day. It's like that. Uh, meet the parents. Do you ever see Paul Harvey's? If, if out there, if you listen, Paul Harvey, type in on YouTube the farmer. It makes you really proud about our country and the way farmers do work. Man, it's pretty. It Paul is a Harvey, thankless news job they love. Comment. Yeah, the farmer right. is a great man. Here is the farmer <laughs> who gets up and milks the cow at five a.m. Good day. Well, let I me love ask you about. <laughs> Thanksgiving traditions growing up. Sheila. Yeah, here's what I remember about Thanksgiving, okay? Mm-hmm. All day long, the men, my father and three brothers, were sitting in front of, sitting in front of the TV watching football. Uh, here it comes, Jim. And, yep, and the women, what were we doing? Well, I didn't do too much cooking because I was a kid. But right. we did the setting of the table, the polishing of the silver. And then when Thanksgiving meal was all over... The guys would go back to their football games, and I and my female companion, right. whose parents we always had Thanksgiving with, would be in the kitchen all night long cleaning. Okay, what? that's what I remember about Thanksgiving. Wow. Do I have a chip on my shoulder? Yeah, yeah. a little rough maybe, there. Maybe just a little. A little bit rough. Just a little. Attitude changed immediately. <laughs> oh my god! 
You guys look guilty, though. You I don't know what no, you're talking about. I, I, w- I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I grew up, uh, my grandmother would always have a big uh, Thanksgiving growing up, and it was cool because all the relatives would be there. It'd be big. I remember these big tables in a strip district. There's the Mulberry Way row house next to the church. Um, and the big thing for me was I was probably, about, I don't know, 12 years old, 13. Uh, my grandmother drank Manischewitz wine. I thought it was like, I drank a sip of, she can make a little sip of a little thing in a glass every Thanksgiving, man. And I was like, this is awesome, this wine. I couldn't wait for my <laughs> wine every year. My, my, I was like a sommelier of Manischewitz. But uh, it was, uh, yeah, the little things like that and just certain things that, certain foods, man. I, like my favorite food, my grandmother would make, my grandmother would make my mom makes too. Are these candied sweet potatoes who just taste, they taste like candy. There's nothing healthy about them. That's like my favorite thing. The turkey's great, but it's the surrounding things that I think we crave as far as the odd, yeah. like I crave that. Sauce. I crave that once a year, that candied yam thing. I'm sure what's your, you got to have one thing that you go, ah, I got to have that. And I what do. Is it? I, Stuffing I like maybe? the jellied cranberry that comes out of the can. You slice Old it. Old Slides all over the place. A little tart, you like kind yeah. of? <laughs> the only thing that we had for Thanksgiving that we didn't have any other time of the year was pumpkin pie with mm. Cool Whip. Um, <laughs> you know, it's true. Pie. I don't really remember myself very often. Maybe if I'm in a diner or something on the road, doing stand get a pumpkin pie. But I, other than that, well, it's Thanksgiving the only time you get it. Down at Northside, Winter's Bakery, and Ann, and she, that was their contribution when they'd come, was that, so they had the apple and a couple others, but the pumpkin. I bet it was great. Fresh pumpkin pie <laughs> with the whipped cream, you know. Yes, I mean, cool geez, whip, baby. So it was good. awesome. Cool whip. And as a kid, you didn't, you know. It's not I'm not get saying we time. were poor. No, but still. We know. weren't poor, poor, but we didn't have extra stuff, you know. It wasn't like now. Kids, I mean, it's not even close. No. You didn't think about it then. No, it was but cool. that was special. It was cool. It was fun. Yeah, it was real special. Like I told you guys, with four boys, me and my three brothers, then my sister came later, but we would devastate when my mom would go shopping once a week on a Friday, and she, I can remember like it was yesterday, saying, don't inhale all this stuff, (laughs) you know, and she'd get the chips with the B&L French onion dip, right? you know, which is still Still classic, a treat. Still works. When I have that, but- my dad, who worked three nights a week, if he came home and there would be nothing to eat, remember I told you guys he he bought those sickening little cans right. of sardines that you had to put and the he key liked in, yeah. yes. and it would snap. The oh. smell. Oh. And he loved it. You know, you know what's funny when you're saying that? My favorite holiday movie, and the reason I think it is, is because the majority of the people, I think, live like... We did. I'm not right. poor, really, but just poor enough or whatever. Just, or not handed to us or whatever it is, the word would be, but a Christmas story uh, just hits home, I think, with a lot of people. It's my and I think, And too. I think that's why we all relate to it because it, that, it's, it's what it yeah. is. It's a Christmas yeah. story, man. You know, like my, my grandma, my grandfather, so would have like a language of his own that's swearing. I didn't <laughs> even understand the words. He made them up. Just like, you know. Well, just, you know, that house, <laughs> which is in Cleveland, that they shot the film in. Yeah, yeah. Is up for sale now yeah. again. Yeah, and they is. built oh, they built it, guys. a little museum next to it, and I guess that's part of it. But it's an Airbnb <laughs> too right it's, now. Oh, is it? I yeah, can't believe it's selling. And the guy that was the kid, I can't remember his name. Peter Billingsley, Ralphie. 
I don't no, know why I know that. Peter, Peter's I think Bill- it's, is that his name? Peter Billingsley or something? Or, yeah, that sounds right. Is that his you name? Know, yeah. That might be it. Something like that. Ralph, Ralphie, Ralphie was the brother. Was oh, Ralphie. Ralphie was the brother. Brothers okay. Ralphie. Um, right. Can't remember the kid's name now. He is good friends okay. with Vince Vaughn, the comedian. Money, baby, when money. Vince was in a, his first movie, he was in a movie, you know, because after that, he got a shot at some movies to be an actor. Right, right. And his career kind of fizzled after that, but now there's this big retro, and you're going to be seeing this guy. I can't remember Good. his name. I think it. Let's Let look see. it up. I think, it's, I think it's Peter Billings. Right. Vince, I just watched hey, Swing. Siri, who played the kid in A Christmas Story? She's thinking Siri's about quiet. it. Siri's quiet. Yeah. She's talking to you right now. Siri's mad at you. My Siri's mad at she, me, too. You know too. what? She has an attitude sometimes, Peter doesn't she? Peter Billingsley is right. Thank you. He was nine years old. Uh, Ralphie. Oh, he was Ralphie. He was yeah. Ralphie. So who was his? Who was the son? Or, I mean, the brother. Yeah, who was the brother? I'll have to look that one up. How about you guys? See, I, I don't have. Oh, I, I knew love that movie. I it's knew on that. the loop. You know, twenty four hours a day at Christmas time. I can't and so wait. We turn it on in the morning, and it. Just I know. Plays I have a day. mini Ralphie doll that somebody. Get. I got it as uh, one of those gag gifts. You know, you go to a Christmas party, and right? You exchange gag gifts. <laughs> somebody <laughs> give you a Ralphie. Yeah, but I but I loved it. And you kept it. And look what's behind your shoulder, Larry. There's the lake, the lamp. Yes. What are the odds? In this studio, folks, is the leg lamp. The glow of, <laughs> I remember the line, Gene Shepard said, the glow of sex in the window. Uh, A miniature <laughs> leg lamp. Now, there is, for, for some reason, you guys would have to find it out there somewhere. But there is a a, a oh, it short work. that what tr- oh it, is, it does, does work, work. Low, the, the glow the glow of sex in the window but <laughs> but uh, there is a a movie that is was I saw it one only once time it was on PBS years ago and it is Gene Shepard the same one guy who did you know the narration all for this you know all is right with that, that warm voice and and wrote he wrote the best Thanksgiving ever. And he did a Thanksgiving movie that was a lot like a Christmas story. I remember it just being fantastic. I'm amazed it's not shown or I haven't seen it since. I saw it like one time as a kid. I just remember it being just unbelievably you know, fun. I'm old enough that I saw a Christmas story in a movie theater in Bloomfield, believe it or not. That's how old it came when it first came out. I don't out. think anybody actually saw it when it first came there out. There was no one but me and Robert Oldensky <laughs> and a couple of people that saw it in the Kenny. We're in the Bloomfield movie theater. I lived on Taylor Street in Bloomfield at the time. And uh, there's only like a handful of people in the whole theater. And I go, that is the greatest movie I've ever seen Christmas-wise. Story. I go, why isn't it bigger? I couldn't believe it. I loved it. And then all of a sudden, you know. Wait on. a minute. Caught on. You lived in a strip in an uh-huh. alley. Yeah. You've lived on the north side at the yes. old schoolhouse across yeah. from Allegheny General. Yeah. And lived you in Bloomfield. Li- you lived in Bloomfield. Yes. Mm-hmm. You lived in Green Tree. Yep. Scott Township. Mm-hmm. You live in the yeah. south side. Yep. Yeah. You're like a, he's like a nomad. I was a nomad. You know, yeah. it's, you know, it's funny. When I started on radio coming off stand up, uh, the old Yenzer thing wasn't looked at as, it was looked at as down. People were down. And I started thinking, why, why? It's kind of cool, man. It's like, it's who I am. You know, I had lived on the north, at that point, I had lived on north side. I've lived in Bloomfield at that point. I lived in the strip district. I knew friends in Hazelwood. I knew friends. I knew friends. So I was able to do the character Stanley Pikachowski, but real. Like, I can go deep into the, na- like, if you lived in that neighborhood, I made a reference. They're like, wait a second, that that can't be, that's not just some, you know, that, he know, he's there. How do he know that? Or uh, That's Pittsburgh. So that's what, 
struck a little chord that gave me the, I knew that was going to give me, because I knew those neighborhoods. I lived in those neighborhoods. I was friends with those people. They're my family. And uh, so that's what kind of started that character, Stanley P. So it was well, kind of brought cool. those characters to life and they yeah, resonated with people because everybody really could relate to having a friend who was or they were <laughs> Stanley P. Give us a little Stanley P. Stanley was, oh, Stanley P. He, he lives on, he lives on Sasai. He went to college, a community college. He's an intellect. He went to community. He he spent seven years there. Uh, it was year four. They broke the news to me that it was a two-year college. Now, ain't my fault. I stayed seven years. I got graduated. I got graduated. Had all my credits. But I was going to go down pit. But I got a job over Heinz. Uh, started as a pickler. Ended up head pickler. Uh, got a little crazy. Went a little, you know, material. Bought a pea green vega. A little nuts, you know what I mean? Living large, <laughs> living large. Yeah, had a vacation home. I had a vacation home up in Latrobe. I was at going. I mean, I'm living large. And then, boom, stock market crash. All my stocks went down. I, I put everything in Zaire's stock. <laughs> I mean, I just got crushed on that. You know, and I still love Zaire's till this day. Never saw it coming. That's interesting. Loved it. But anyway. You, I, and <laughs> knowing you, I didn't know you then, but I really got to know you after uh and the genesis of your characters like the whole teamsters today thing resonated you told us about My where grandpa. you got yeah grandpa was the head of local in so 270 the was it 279 249 24 i'm sorry I'm getting wrong so cuz that was the i made the i, only I made the fake one uh, i had an uncle in 249 249 he was the uh you know the leader of I have a brother in 249 now so i had i was there when you know he'd have people over the kitchen from you know things today sitting there you know talking about what this ain't right this ain't right ski as my grandpa's nickname <laughs> we got to fix this ski so i just listened to them and that's where the character of Vinny Guzzo came from you know 289 i made up some number i don't know whatever teamster union i was you know and uh you know and i teams that this it was a show teams that today to show it asked the question you got a problem with that so it, was, <laughs> so it became when did you first start making up characters when Were you just i a kid yeah when i was a kid i'd make them up no when i was on stand up full time i was on five six shows a week little did i know it was training for radio i didn't know but uh Either that or a development deal in L.A. Either one was going to go somewhere. But I started to work on the characters on the road, and I didn't know what I was going to do with them because I didn't know how to put them in a stand-up yet. I really didn't learn how to storytell yet. I was mainly doing impressions to make a living. Uh, I was good at it. And it was, you know, good sometimes could be the enemy of great. It's holding me back a little from trying, from breaking new ground. Wow. Where did you get that line? Uncle oh, Dirty. Yeah. This guy, I, I was a good kid. Good can be the enemy of great. Could I, could I have Ooh, the, I, I, Okay, we'll write that down. Well, here's what happened. At the time, the Tropicana was a big deal. If you got the Trop, you got six, seven weeks of work a year. You, were head, you got headliner money. You only had to do 20 minutes. They had three guys. I was working at Dangerville. So three comedians from New York, they get real cheap. They put us up in a beautiful condo. You get a couple grand for a week. You did 20 minutes a night. Here's the thing. They work Monday through Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't know this. At the time, I'm 25, right? 24, 25. I don't know this, but and I'm just starting to headline. And uh, it's like boxing. The image of uh, if you have bad shows, it gets out. You can drop back the middle real quick. You bad shows, you drop the MC. You could drop out real quick. The word of mouth. But anyway, this was a high-profile gig in a sense that everyone will know about it. New York and whatever. And how it works in that world is then anyway, if you had one bad show, you got a pass. If you got two, you were replaced. If you were replaced, 
you're going to be replacing all your other gigs. They're going to find out about it. People are going to say, oh, yeah, you hear, hear about Jim Crenshaw. So anyway, I go on a Monday, and they give tickets to all senior citizens, and I'm 24, 25. <laughs> they bust them in from Philly, and they're, they're literally 80 years old. Nine, they're all white. I am, at the time, doing impressions of for audiences in a comedy club. The comedy club demo is 21 to 34 at the time. <laughs> Some 25 to 54. It's like almost radio. A younger demo, not in the 60, 80, the 80 range or 90. So each guy has to do 20 minutes. Now, I'm on the bill with this guy, Jack Cohen, who ended up being a big producer somewhere. You can see his name sometime. Uh, Uncle Dirty, this big guy with a hat. He said he wrote, he did, I'll find out later, he wrote for Richard Pryor and George Carlin. He opened for the Grateful Dead for many years. And I, he told me this, and about two years later, I saw Pryor on uh, The Tonight Show talking about Uncle Dirty. And I go, oh my God, it's right. So anyway, I do my first show, and I bomb, which means I'm one show away from done. Done. My career. I'd have to start over again after working my way to headline. I am sitting outside the show if they're bombing. My head is down. Uncle Dirty sits down, lights up a joint. That was before it was illegal, but he didn't care. <laughs> he had a little beanie on, picture big guy, looked kind of like Santa Claus, okay? Really, beard, white hair, <laughs> no hair on top, white, uh, kind of like a heavy Gallagher or something. But anyway, he, so he opened for, he, that all, he looks at me and goes, uh, tough show, huh? I go, yeah, I guess. He goes, you know you're going home tomorrow. <laughs> I said, yep. He said, yeah, if you bomb. He says, I'll tell you what, kid. He said, I saw you. He said, he said, uh, now, he's the guy who later in that week said, he gave me my advice was, you're good, but good is the enemy of great. Don't forget that. He said, I need you to break out and do the." I did a couple stories here and there, but he, off the air, I mean, off the stage, he's crying. He goes, you're a storyteller. You've got to get that on stage. I know you're making a lot of money. He said, so you're, gonna, you're not going to do it. He said, good is the enemy of great. I never forgot that until I finally did do it. Wow. You got to mm. take that risk from good if they're all falling apart, to be great, to do something great. But anyway, get back to the thing where I bombed. He looked at me. He said, why is this guy? He goes, uh, tell you what, you have nothing to lose. I said, yeah. He goes, do, do, do as I say tomorrow. I go, what? He goes, he goes, the first two minutes of your show, the first two minutes, you are not allowed to do your material. You are not allowed to do impressions. You're not allowed to do anything, funny lines that you had before. You're not to do any material at all. You just have to walk up on stage the first two minutes. Now, two minutes is a long time in a weird way on stage. Uh -huh. So uh, I said, I don't, that's crazy. He goes, well, you're going to go home anyway because that audience is going to know your audience is going to know you. So I said, okay, I'll do it. So I can't sleep at night next time. Sold out show. Everyone looked at it. It's white hair everywhere. At night. So I'm a walker. It's the whole thing. <laughs> so I go up and Uncle Dirty looks at me before I go and he goes, two minutes. I said, okay. I walk out. <laughs> I don't know what to say because I have to wait two minutes. I'm standing. Here's what Uncle Dirty, he bet on me. He bet on me because he heard this. He felt that was funny. Now, he just bet on me. And I go, I look at this lady and, 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 and she had a bingo bag because they played bingo in a casino or something. I go, is that a bingo bag? She goes, yeah. I go, and I just talk. I go, I take my grandmother to bingo every Wednesday in Pittsburgh. Every Wednesday, her and I pick her up and just the fact that I just was talking, I didn't realize, but I take my grandmother to bingo. Their hearts. You know, oh, oh, my God. I love, I love him. This boy. Yes. We love him. And then I start talking about my grandmother and saying some things, a couple of things about her and a couple of jokes, you know, I'll see whatever. 
Next thing you know, I am doing 20 minutes of things they don't even understand. Same act as night four, got a standing ovation. Wow. Because, uh, and I got off stage, and he goes, I, he says, always remember that. The first two minutes, make them like you. I said, okay. I always remember that. Make them like wow. you. And, uh, and then, like I said, later in that week, he said, uh, you know, my act is like a technician. I, I didn't, ha- I didn't, I, after Thursday, I didn't have to do the two minute thing. I did it the next day. Bingo. I had a little bit of routine, but then I went back to my act cause it was back to normal, a uh, younger audience for me. But, uh, he, he did at the end of that run say, you're really good. He goes, but good is the enemy. Great. Don't forget that. And, and as I went on, I realized he's absolutely right in the sense that and dirty I, told you this. uncle dirty. And it took me years to figure out to take the risk. To say, you know what, I got to push the impressions back. Still do them. It's a gift I have to do it. God gave me. But I have to get these stories out. And it's hard. And I didn't do as well. But then it turned. And as all of a sudden it became a signature. And, and it opened up a whole ocean of material. He was absolutely right. Wow. So he was one of the wisest people ever for me. We run into people like that, all of us in, in life. We have to think about that person. But there was a guy named Uncle Dirty that was important in my career. <laughs> Why was he called Uncle Dirty? I was just like his thing. He was dirty. He told dirty jokes. Yeah. Like I mean, kind of dirty. You know Richard Pryor, and yeah. he's writing for him. And he wrote for Carlin, George Carlin, also. And back that was oh, back yeah. when those guys were, you know, yeah. outliers. Edgy. They were edgy, oh, yeah. edgy. Class clown, man. Yeah. Did you ever do words. any stand up, Sheila? You're looking at me, me stand up because yeah. you got this. You're talented. Really great sense of humor. You're I have intelligent, a great sense of humor, but you know what? I'm terrible at joke telling, though. You I might suck be a, at it. That's just it. You I might do. be a storyteller. It's just one of the things where I think uh, certain people, like you guys could, anybody could perform like you guys can do it. Uh, because you, one, it takes being comfortable. The audience, a guy named Kip Adada is another comedian. He was, did many Tonight Shows. And I learned a lot from this guy. I he remember was, that name. He was brilliant. One of my favorite comedians of all time. But, uh, and he was just, you know, I was 20 some years old. He's like 50, but he just knew the game. And uh, he basically, uh, uh, said the same thing as dirty, which was, uh, you know, got to, got to try to make, and this was, this was, uh, even before dirty, he kind of mentioned it didn't resonate until, you know, the, the Tropicana thing, but, uh, it was just the way he said, if you're comfortable on stage, Jim, the audience is empathizing with you. When Elvis is on stage, I'm Elvis. If Elvis is comfortable, I'm comfortable. If Elvis sings great, I sing great. If he doesn't, I kind of disassociate. If, if, if you see an act on stage not do well, that's not in your mind. Subliminally, you're going to go, eh, I wouldn't. Do. Like when they see a guy get up cool, he's laying, he's laid back, he's, I'm riffing, I'm doing lines, I'm, you know, just everything's going great. Deep down, you're thinking, that's the way I would do it. I'm comfortable. I'm connecting with this person. Do you know there's only one thing an audience and then you will break. not forgive you? Being boring. Yes. And, 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 and actually be you nervous, can, you too. You can get away with almost anything, but if you bore them. They'll they disas- want nothing to do with Once it. you disassociate the audience with nervousness and boredom and whatever, you're done. Yeah. So, so being calm and being a performer, my point is, you guys would have the. You do. You are developing stand-up. The same reason. Same reason I'm saying because you're comfortable playing. and you're able to connect. Well, so once you, you connect, make me comfortable. So when I introduce you when you're doing a stand-up performance, it's so natural for me to do that because of the relationship I have with you. But then I found. I'm not what I would consider a comedian. I'm more of a humorist. Right. A storyteller. Yeah. And, a comedian. And, and then your stories can't be too long because right. people's attention spans. Start learning how to do it. Have, mm-hmm. Yeah. So you taught me, you know, setting things up. 
Yeah. Just what you did at Steamworks at our last show, mm. we did Beth Clausen's Porch Concert. Mm. You got up before you sang, and you got everybody on your side before they heard a note. And th- and I realize now that that's part of your Uncle Dirty. mindset. Yeah. <laughs> Make them like it. Or, uh, or and you see did it. a couple of little jokes just to... You talked about their little Christmas tree, and let's not forget why we're here tonight, yeah. to raise money to get a bigger Christmas tree. <laughs> and, you know, it was like people looked at the tree, I, and you disarmed everybody. Yeah. So then when you sang, in your case, that's breaking new ground. Yeah, I'm a little nervous, so i got to make myself because not nervous. it's out of your comfort zone. Yeah. But I appreciate that you're pushing yourself to do that because good is, is the, the enemy, enemy of, of great. great. And if you look at every great performer out there, that's probably what they follow, right? Right. They're not good. Yeah. They're great. So they yeah. had to be. Yeah. They had to break that mold of good to get the great. <laughs> and we all do. Larry, you are surprisingly you come off as as funny. I didn't realize you were as much of a comedian as you actually are. I, it's funny. I don't think of myself as funny, but, but I, I'm an observationalist. And in working with Jimmy, I felt again the comfort to introduce him so I could tell a couple of stories and then it's integrated with stuff that maybe we did in our travels or people we've encountered. And, uh, it's really comfortable. And then I realize I'm not afraid anymore. But that's just it. It's it's a transition of like, you just had a different background than me. Your background is through radio. Okay. You're performing in front of a lot of people. You know, you guys know it, it is like diamond cutting to, to do what you would do. Cause in a sense, you one, one wrong word, you're done. Mm-hmm. One wrong phrase, you're done. So that's how it's like diamond that's cutting. True. It seems like breathing, but it is. It's actually a, you know, something God gives us certain talents, and God gave you the talent to do that. Now, I had a road where I was doing five to six shows live in the, com- in the club because of the comedy club boom for six years wow. before going on. So I was doing, that's a heck of a minor leagues So workout. when you went on radio, it, you weren't. That was a set of just... combat comedy. In comedy yeah, you, you gave it. That's why you were successful. I was getting four laughs a minute. You were just rolling, and on the radio, people weren't used to having a comedian, and you knew how to work the medium. I was lucky because at that time, it was album-oriented rock formats, and they weren't. They were, state, they were rated seventeenth in the market. Uh, Jimmy and Steve, the morning show, was not there. They had left, lost them. Right, they uh, went to Lauderdale. So you got them all the way up to this number was, one. Oh, in a year. In, this oh. is a rebuild, and I didn't know I was going to move to L.A. and then that staying obviously but uh when i got on there there was freedom and no one listening so they asked me to keep coming back i went on as a guest i was doing a club called graffiti when i was in, did impressions they asked me to come back i kept coming back and, and kept doing the impressions or doing it was comfortable it was like sedative next to stand up on stand up you're getting three to four laughs a minute for an hour for an hour in radio you're kind of talking using that instinct but it was like you said lair it was new because at the time, I didn't realize to looking back, this is 1987, 88, the DJs were like Rick D's. Um, there were wacky, corny DJs, was the comedian. Just the morning Howard, zoos. Howard Stern was only in New York City. He wasn't syndicated yet. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even know about him, but I later found out that's what he was doing conversational, personal things. You know, Rick D's and those guys, they were brilliant. Brilliant broadcasters, man. And he knew how to convey things. Those guys were sharp, but you didn't know who they were. They had great voices. They knew how to carry it. They made, they were likable, but they weren't opening up who they were. And yeah. so I was fortunate to not know what I was doing because when they first started, I was making mistakes. And they, pro, the time, they were trying to 
correct those. And finally, they were getting uh, reviews that people liked me, and they didn't. There was a quandary: was this do we keep this guy because he's you know people like him, but he's not doing a regular format mm-hmm. of a radio. And I learned quickly to myself, I was the king of imperfection, and people like imperfection because we're all imperfect we're all perfect and it, but anyway that style yeah, you always on. were to me not knowing you like the quintessential pittsburgh guy yeah oh absolutely and, and that is that's who yeah. i am as part you of ask me. anyone about jim Cren and they'll tell you that you know what's interesting is the two of you were competitors direct competitors with each other i, I and never yet you are the best of friends now you know it's i a learned terrific story i learned from great people, from Dennis Miller in oh. comedically to uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Jay Leno, they they talk, I had heavy conversations with all these guys, and the one common thread with the greats. And I always look for common thread. The common thread was Jimmy. You are not in competition with anyone. You're in competition with yourself. That is it. Let's let the let the chips fall where they may. Mm. People are jealous of you, angry. You are. You're, we live in your world. You are competition to do your best, and you should help others, others to do their and best. And there in lies why we're friends. Yeah, he helps others mm-hmm. do their best, and he has no ego in that world. And that's how we became friends. And I love, and I love working with Larry. I love working with Larry because I love working with talented people. And in, in, in you too. She Next time awesome we're going to wrangle my yin and yang radio partner. <laughs> Marty Griffin for our 50th oh, man, episode. I can't wait for I that show. I better get a seatbelt. Larry Richard Unfiltered with Jim Cren, Sheila Highland. Episode 49 is a wrap. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Larry. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.